Once in a while, I'd like to remind our church family that the future of new community looks like you. Future of new community looks like you. Another way to say it is the future of new community will be shaped by you. Future of new community will be shaped by you, the church. Every year, the way that we've gone about strategic planning is to the best of our ability. We lean in and ask this critical question. What is God doing? How is God already at work? And to the best of our ability, discern and join God in what he is already doing. Let me say that again. Strategic planning for us historically has been leaning into this truth that God is already at work. By the way, can I get an amen to that? God is already at work in many, many ways. And our responsibility as followers of Jesus, whether it be individual corporately, is to lean into that and ask the question, God, how are you at work? And to join, to plan accordingly. Somebody says, well, why do we need to plan Somebody once observed that churches often are a beehive of activity that kind of leads to nowhere, and that's poor stewardship. It's poor stewardship. Scripture's filled, actually, with principles and truths about why planning is so important, but I was told that I have five to seven minutes, so I need to be really quick. Here's one passage from the book of Proverbs that's been instrumental for me. Proverbs chapter uh, 14a, it says, The wise man looks ahead, and the fool attempts to fool himself and won't face facts. I don't know who said this. Maybe some of you after this service come and tell me who said this. Someone once said, if you fail to plan, then you ultimately plan to fail. How do we go about strategic planning, though? How, how do we want to go about doing this. And this is where the rest of today becomes really critical and important as you walk away. Over 1,500 times the word listen or hear is found in the scriptures. 1,500 times. Do you think God is trying to say something? 1,500 times the word listen or hear is found in the scriptures. That's why I think the most important question every one of us has to ask throughout the day Throughout the day, throughout the day, is this. God, how are you coming to me? And what I you want to say. Will you say that with me? Here we go. God, how are you coming to me? And what might you want to say? One more time. God, how are you coming to me? And what might you want to say? Throughout the day, it's spiritually critical that we ask this question. Jesus told a number of parables, and one of the parables that he told that some of you might be familiar with is a parable of the soils. Now, I'm going to tell you the portion that we're going to read where he explains on what the parable of the soils is, and it's found in Luke chapter 8, verse 11. It says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they might not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they ultimately fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go other way, they are choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures. Life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they do not 
mature. The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Now, for those of you that are familiar, this passage has been, I think, traditionally interpreted, preached along these lines. The seed is the word of God, the gospel, and the soil represents various people with various kinds of hearts. But what if? What if we actually saw this parable slightly different? What if we saw the soils as not different people with different hearts, but maybe we saw the soils as our own hearts through different seasons of life? And the seed or the word is not just scripture or preaching, but it's actually hundreds, maybe thousands of ways that God comes to us. Thomas Merton is one of my favorite authors. I've been really getting into him lately. For those of you that are familiar with Thomas Merton, I encourage you to read as much as you can about him. He's a Trappist monk. And he actually takes his parable and says the following. Every moment, every event of every man's life on earth plants something in his soul. For just as the wind carries thousands of winged seeds, so each moment brings with it germs of spiritual vitality that come to rest imperceptibly in the minds and wills of men. Most of these unnumbered seeds perish and are lost because men and women are not prepared to receive them. For such seeds as these cannot spring up anywhere except in the good soil of freedom, spontaneity, and love. This is no new idea. Christ in the parable of the sower long ago said that the seed is the word of God. And we often think this applies only to the word of the gospel as formally preached to churches on Sundays. But every expression of the will of God is in some sense a word of God and therefore a seed of new life. The ever-changing reality in the midst of which we live should awaken us to the possibility of an uninterrupted dialogue with God. We must learn to realize that the love of God seeks us in every situation and every good. Thomas Merton essentially says, do you realize that God comes to us in hundreds and thousands of different ways, and yet these seeds never take root. Sometimes because we are not paying attention. Sometimes because we're not slowing down enough. Sometimes because we just literally don't look for ways in which God is at work. I began with this. There is one person we know in the scriptures who seemed to live with this awareness that the seed of God's word comes in many forms at all times. His entire life posture was one of, how are you coming to me? As Jesus, in John 5, this is what he says. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. My father is always at work to this very day. God is planting seeds Everywhere, at all times, am I aware? Am I looking? Am I open? Am I receptive? Truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father 
does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. And yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. This morning, I need you to, as you hear, as you listen, as you observe, ask, God, how might you be coming to me and planting your seeds? Pastor Zox will come and uh, share a little bit more about what that might mean for each of us individually, but also corporately as a church. As we respond in obedience to God's invitation to participate in his work through what in a short while Yuli will be describing for us called appreciation or appreciative inquiry, how might God be inviting you to participate? What is your role? And how should you participate in this task that God is inviting us into? I believe that Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians, particularly chapter 12, gives us a framework to work with. In 1 Corinthians 12, we can see Paul describing how believers need to utilize their gifts, particularly in response to a task that God is inviting them to. Paul uses the analogy of the body to highlight not only the diverse nature of spiritual gifts and how these gifts function to accomplish divine tasks, but also the possibility to fellowship in God's way. Although Paul was addressing problems of immaturity and division in the church that is, uh, was incurrent, for us here at Newcom, our concern is how can AI be helpful to us, even as we look into the future? How can we partner with God through this instrument of appreciative inquiry to fulfill what God has called us as a congregation to do here and beyond. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we have the text up, verses 13 through 16. Hear what Paul has to say to us. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free. And all we are made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the food should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that will not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. Lord, I pray that this morning you bless these words and inscribe them into our hearts. Amen. How would Newcom look like if everyone should function based on their giftedness? A Bible commentator says this, a church cannot function and it certainly cannot mature without properly and faithfully using the gift God gives his people 
in interdependent ways. In other words, every gift that is given to you connects you to your brother and to your sister. And unless and until you function in that way, you cannot benefit the church. In other words, Paul is drawing our attention to the fact that, yes, we may have diverse gifts, but this leads only to unity, not division. May I suggest that a theological framework of mutual dependence should inform and inspire our participation in appreciative inquiry. And for Paul, he speaks of this mutual dependence in three ways. We belong to each other. We need each other. We benefit or profit each other to the degree that we abide in the vine as Jesus puts it in John 15. We depend on him, but we also depend on one another to function in this body. Briefly, we belong to each other in verse 16 through 16. Paul makes it very clear. But also if you read Romans 12, 5, Paul said, we are many parts of one body. And we all belong to each other. The question will be, how did this come about? Paul tells us, particularly in verse 13, that through baptism, you have been brought into the family of God. In other words, through the confession of faith, each, an individual that is seated this morning has been brought into an existing body of believers who ultimately belong to Jesus and to one another as well. This relationship of belonging is fundamental and critical to mutual dependence. Do you have that relationship with him? If you do, then the question will be also, do you have that kind of relationship with your brother and your sister? Do you consider yourself part of your sister? Do you consider yourself part of your brother? The second thing that Paul's, uh, uh, Paul draws our attention to is in verse 21. Paul is correcting an attitude here. He said, I cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the hand or the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. For no individual can function independently because Christians are recreated for community. What then is the value of we need one another? Like I mentioned earlier on, it helps us correct this negative attitude that, hey, the community do not need me. Neither do I need the community. As a matter of fact, if you push this a little bit further, such attitude sometimes manifests in an underestimation or overestimation of your importance to the body of Christ. Paul is warning us not to have such an attitude that we belong to one another and we need each other. Don't underestimate or overestimate your importance to the body of Christ. Your place is unique, it's important, it's necessary. Again, in Romans 12, 16, 
Paul invites us to enjoy one another. He said, enjoy the company of the ordinary people. Because they help you fulfill your calling. Not just yours, but even the community as well. If we need each other because we belong to one another, such interdependence is very consequential. In verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the gift given to you for the common good of the church. Again, the gift given to you is for the common good. In other words, it is to profit the body. Brothers and sisters, spiritual gifts are not given for individual's benefit. Rather, it is for the community. For your gifts obligate you as a contributor, not a consumer. This is why Paul says, he, that is Jesus, makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own work. Listen to what Paul says. It helps the other part grow. Let me repeat this again. He, that is Jesus, makes the whole body fit perfectly together as each part does its own work it helps the other part to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Friends, we belong to one another. We need each other because our ministry grows the other. It helps fulfill the ministry of the entire body. Like I mentioned earlier, and Jesus made it very clear. For us to be a fruit, we need to depend on him. We need to be connected to him. But even as we are connected to him, we must remember that we are equally connected to one another. Let me close with this story. A woman from the top of a mountain saw lepers walking, walking on a farmland. She noticed two in particular sowing corn in the field. One of the lepers had no hands, the other had no feet. Leprosy had destroyed these parts of their bodies. Interestingly, the one who wanted the hands was carrying the other who wanted the feet upon his back. The one with the hands carried the bags of seed and dropped a seed here and there so that the one with the feet was burying those seeds. Though through strenuous and stressful process, these two lepers accomplished their tasks. How? Through mutual dependence. It was not a question of convenience or comfort. 
Not even the pain, but the gain. The Bible speaks of Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. As we go through this process, may we be like these lepers who realize that they need each other. That although we might consider them to be handicapped, they saw something in themselves. And that is, they belong to each other. That together, they can accomplish more. We each have something that the community needs. And the community has something that you lack. Even as Pastor Kathleen comes up, may we embark on this uphill journey, borrowing from Yuli's description about uh, AI. May we embark on this with the realization that we need mutual independence. We need to remind ourselves throughout this process, throughout this journey, that we belong to each other, that we need each other. And through our participation, you will help grow your sister. You will help grow your brother. And together, we'll ultimately grow the kingdom of God. Thank you. Thank you, Zox. So we first heard how we are going to follow what God is already doing. And then Zox just talked about how we're mutually dependent on one another. Um, and now I'd like to direct our attention to 1 Peter 2, 4 through 9, to talk about the next part. As we come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who calls you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In this passage, Peter first talks about how Jesus is the cornerstone or capstone, and we are the living stones being built into his house. Jesus came like a servant, but the world expected a ruling king. Much like that, we're very ordinary people who in this passage are called holy and chosen by God, each and every one of us. We first see this language used in the Old Testament to describe Israel, God's first chosen people. Here, Peter is specifically drawing on the words that he uses also in Exodus 19, 5 through 6. It says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. All, all throughout the whole earth, 
You will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you speak that are spoken over the Israelites. He uses this description to describe anyone now who is saved and believes in Christ. A chosen people has expanded from the Israelites to include all Christians, anyone who believes into God's family. We are a new community. That's where we get our name from. So it's an identity question for us. Do we know who we are? Do we freely share that identity with others? Are we freely sharing that we're a people of God, chosen both to live that within the church and outside in our vocational callings? I'll tell you a funny story. When I first stepped into this role as a pastor, people every single day out in the street ask you, oh, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, uh... I'm a pastor, and it took me a long time to get used to owning that identity as the first thing that people would ask. And it was a realization that, oh, God is really working on me being comfortable owning that I'm a person of God first, and that it's to be freely shared, no matter if I feel so awkward, um, that the people should know that we're an identity marker for God's kingdom here on earth. So I hope that all of us would feel comfortable sharing that we are a part of his family, both in the church and outside the church. So to continue on, uh, again, at the beginning of the verse, Jesus describes us as, as he's described as the cornerstone, and we're the living stones. The second question I think that God's pointing to here is we are to be molded and cut together spiritually and corporately as God's kingdom of people. As Zox talked about, we're to be molded and cut and fitted together spiritually as the church to fulfill God's kingdom purposes here on earth. As we live out that calling as God's chosen people, think about how God might be molding and forming you today to fit spiritually within new community. Where is he calling you to serve within this body? This is significant because he calls us all priests not just the pastoral staff, not just the ministry leaders that you see, but everybody is called a priest. So let's go back and ask the question before that we had talked about, how might God be molding and forming your spiritual life to serve and participate and use your voice here? Our hope today is that we would truly live into all of us exercising our voices as a corporate call to work together, be mutually dependent, and follow what God is doing together here. As Yuli comes up and shares about appreciative inquiry, she'll explain all about what that is. I'm sure you're curious by this point. This means that we put aside our, our group thinking of, oh, just the very important people or very involved people will be in, in involved in this process, or I'm too busy. We, we can lay down those thoughts and participate and use our voices. And finally, I wanted to investigate what it means to be a priest. When I first read this passage, when I was just a baby Christian, I thought, oh, a Catholic priest and the very special people are only to be doing this kind of work. But I think God has a lot more there for us. The last aspect is called a royal priesthood. It's recognizing that we are holy and set apart to live into a corporate call of being a priesthood. So what does this mean? First and foremost, Everyone is called to be in an intimate relationship with God. I think that's going to be the driving force behind what we're doing. So in the Old Testament, again, we saw that the priests were the only ones that were able to get an audience with God in the temple. In the new covenant, and the new community that we're a part of, Jesus calls all of us to go before God. 
We can interact with God. God interacts with each of us. Secondly, we're called to pray. Pray for one another and pray for the nations. Intercession was a call that the priests had and likewise we have today. As we go through the strategic planning process, let's begin to pray for each one another and for the process. As appreciative, the appreciative inquiry leaders and pray that God would be directing us to, again, what he's already been doing and that we would attune to listen to him. And lastly, as priests, we're called to act with authority and minister in his name, in Jesus' name. The call to minister with authority in the name of Jesus is for everyone to participate, to share the good news, and be the church. So let's do that. And I'd like to invite up Yuli. Um, she's going to provide an overview and an introduction of what Appreciative Inquiry is as we go on as a church. Thank you, Pastor Caitlin. So I want you to continue to keep in mind and imagine yourself within this broader context that God has or that has been beautifully communicated to you by your pastors. A context of the ongoing work of God around us, as well as God's invitation to each one of us, the priesthood of all believers, to participate in Christ's ministry of renewal. Remembering this context, I want to talk to you today about the word innovation, which also takes place under the kingship of Christ, but is also the context in which appreciative inquiry is housed. Linda Hill, who is an innovation scholar at Harvard University, defines the word innovation as the creation of something novel and useful. The creation of something novel and useful. However, the word typically brings up images of a genius-like person who perhaps is sitting in a cafe, has a light bulb moment, and creates a brand new, never before imagined product, and then makes millions of dollars off of that product. So that can indeed happen, but in reality, however, innovation can be large or small, incremental or breakthrough. It can be a new service, a new business, a new way of organizing, or doing something else new in a new way. And not only that, the act of innovating is really a team sport rather than an individual exercise. So I guess what I'm trying to communicate is that what we've always thought innovation to look like or imagine the process to be may have more dimension to it than we realize. So given what you know now about the word innovation, New Community has already introduced a novel strategic planning process called Appreciative Inquiry, or AI, which we pray will also be useful for the entire church body. I would say that as we stand before you today as a team of pastoral staff collaborating in a new way, that innovation has already happened. Broadly speaking, appreciative inquiry is intentionally designed for collaboration. For all of us to come together as the body of Christ, where all voices are valued through a process that is designed to draw out stories that are life-giving in an organization, 
and that eventually helped shape the strategic goals of this church. Inclusion, collaboration, life-giving. These are aspects of appreciative inquiry that we believe align well with our values, but also challenge us all to live them out. And these are the reasons why we chose appreciative inquiry for our strategic planning process over others that are out there. But you might be asking now, so how does appreciative act uh, inquiry actually work? But let me give you a metaphorical description to help illustrate appreciative inquiry. So, uh, so if we can turn to the slide, yes, with the mountain, that's great, thank you. So last week I'll tell you a story. <clears throat> Some of you might know Lara Cho. She and I, along with other youth pastors across the country, were invited by Fuller uh, to reimagine the future of youth ministry. So in order to get a bunch of different people who didn't know each other to reimagine the future of youth ministry, Fuller designed our time around an appreciative inquiry process. They designed the time around a process of innovation that would engage every unique voice in the room. And that's how appreciative inquiry works. It's a process that is designed to draw out our divergent perspectives from everyone in the room in a way that eventually leads to convergence of ideas. Convergence happens when divergent voices engage in mutual dialogue and reach a point of understanding on what would be best for an organization right now. This process can seem a bit like climbing that mountain that you see on the slide, especially for those of us who have never experienced anything like appreciative inquiry, or perhaps even those of us who have, but have not yet contextualized it within a church setting. So as I was preparing the slide, I thought of um, a story of when the youth group went out on a rock climbing outing. And the youth were very brave, but I, of course, have a fear of heights, and it took some convincing to get me started climbing on the walls. But I felt safe because we had a group of um, expert climbers, or I should say people who have gone before us in this rock climbing journey, um, people like Pradeep and Lara Nair, Grant Novak, Eddie Cho, and if you know them, you know that they rock climb very well. Um, they all came with us and guide, guided us all up and down the rock climbing wall. They taught us how to hold the little knobs, um, how to descend without crashing into the wall. Um, and, and in the end, after that whole experience, the youth asked if we could do this again. And I think it's because they felt a sense of community an accomplishment, participating in something together, as well as a sense of safety to make the climb with trusted teachers guiding them along. Similarly, we have assembled an appreciative inquiry advisory and planning team, who will be introduced a little bit later, but they've all committed to guiding new community through this AI process. We've been meeting and learning together since last November. 
so that we can come alongside you well and also champion AI to be a fruitful experience for our church. Next slide. So now, there still might be some of you who might be skeptical about this process, and so I wanted to share this side-by-side -side comparison of how organizations typically go about strategic planning. Some organizations identify problems to solve. These problems are usually determined by a small group of people, and then change is made in a more hierarchical order. And this is totally fine and works uh, perfectly well when the problems are technical and linear, but as you know, the problems in our world these days are very complex. This approach is called a deficit-based approach, where you focus first on what's wrong and what's not going right. Appreciative inquiry, by contrast, asks what are the strengths of our organization? and focuses on what's going right, and then heads in that direction. This is called a strengths-based approach, and I think the process allows us to experience hopeful perseverance towards the future that we want to see. One of the critiques, though, of AI is that the process turns a blind eye to weaknesses. Just as AI focuses on strengths, or just because it focuses on strengths doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to weaknesses. Because when you really think about it, actually, it's important to recognize that there can be a positive side to weaknesses and a negative side to strengths. And sometimes, sometimes it's in the tension and the paradox of a situation where learning begins. For some of us, though, we get stuck in the shadows of what's negative. And I think that's a normal human thing to do, but what appreciative inquiry does for us, though, is that it redirects us by helping us reframe our story into a life-giving, hopeful narrative. And this happens, next slide, through this cycle, this four-step process, where we engage in a time of inquiry and conversation um, and dialogue with one another around tables. And it's actually a process where you all will get to tell stories about how you've experienced life here at New Community. And then we will get to collaborat collaboratively dream, design, and develop a plan for execution based on the strengths of our church. One AI summit has the potential to produce many, many goals that we can help plan all in one year or in multiple years. And that will all be decided at the summit. And even with all of this information that we've provided for you today, some of you might still be confused. <laughs> and that's totally normal, and I just want to normalize that feeling for you all. But over the next uh, few months, we will continue to communicate information about AI to get us all on as much of the same page as possible. You will see information in the bulletins, in Newcom Weekly, on the website perhaps, and you can also reach out to anyone on the pastoral team, 
as well as the advisory or planning team for one-on-one -on -one coffee or for individual learning, and we're all open to that. But what we want you to know, though, is that in order for AI to be the most successful, we need as much of the whole system so every one of you here today at the May Summit. We want to hear your voice and invite you to partner with us in shaping the future of your home church. And your participation, like Caitlin said, can start right now by joining us in prayer and asking God to continue to reveal what he's doing here at New Community and then giving us a posture of humility to participate in his good work for our church. So there you go, the All Church AI Summit will take place May 18th through 19th. May 18th, of course, after working hours. And all of you all are, are invited. We'll provide dinner, meals, and hopefully it will be a time of fun and blessing as we all get to participate together in discerning how God would want to lead our future. Next slide, please. These are the members of the AI advisory planning team who we've prayed over and assembled to help be our AI champions going forward. Not only will they be participating in a mini summit next weekend so that they can get a better feel for what AI is all about, but from this point forward, they will also be helping to plan for the May summit and will be available to meet one-on-one -on -one and talk with any one of you um, if you would like to learn more about AI as well. So with that being said, let me invite up any uh, team member that is here in the audience today, and then Pastor Peter will lead us in a time of prayer.